Um, and so I, I, I did that. I became a pastor. And it's interesting how um, I feel like that was like my first big shift was out of fundamentalism into more mainstream evangelicalism. And I think that my narrative would have continued to change and those shifts would have probably happened more rapidly had I not gotten a job as a pastor. Right. Discovered that um, having that position and leading an institution and being responsible for the doctrines of that institution made it challenging to, to change my mind yeah. on different things or evolve as a person. Happy Release Friday. Welcome to another episode of the Change in the Narrative podcast. Sophie Catherine here. So excited to have you for today's episode. So I'm so excited to have Brian Rucker on my podcast today. He's an ex-evangelical pastor who really felt convicted because he had such a heart for the LGBTQ plus community and knew he had to leave the church in order to speak out and to support that community and just be honest about how he felt and his beliefs. I found him on Instagram. We made a connection and he agreed to come on the podcast. So I'm so excited to share his story today. I know you'll find it thought provoking and I know it shifted my perspective. I'm excited for this episode. So let's dive in. So I'm Sophie Catherine for the Change in the Narrative podcast. I am so excited to have Brian Recker on the podcast today. He magically showed up in my Instagram algorithm, and when I heard his message, I was really actually, like, really astounded, and it was, like, so impactful, and I found it really intriguing, and so I reached out, and I asked him if he'd want to collaborate and share his story in the podcast, and he agreed, so he's here today. So how you doing, Brian? I'm doing really well. Thanks, Sophie. How are you? I'm doing so good. So... I am so interested to learn more about you. Um, I've watched a lot of your reels. I've heard your story. It's when I think of the name of my podcast, Change in the Narrative, it kind of like suits you to a T. And I think you even said, wow, that really resonates with me, like the name. So it did. Yeah. So it's interesting. I randomly, I mean, I've been posting sort of reels every now and then just to my own musings. And, you know, they kind of, one of them struck a nerve uh, about a week and a half ago, and I kind of blew up with a bunch of followers. And at the same time, a f- like a few different people reached out about a podcast, and <laughs> and I was just not really sure that that was something I wanted to do at all. But yeah, the here is you said it in the you know in the message, changing the narrative, and that really does feel like um, a phrase that captures what I've been doing for the last couple of years, very uncomfortably, but yeah, uh, that I, I have been experiencing what it is to change your own narrative and then the way people view you that can be one of the most uncomfortable parts about it is that if people know you a certain way people are like oh that's people have a narrative about you people put you absolutely it's like this and so when you come across a different way it can be uncomfortable for them which makes you uncomfortable so a lot of people don't change for that exact reason that you don't want to change your narrative you know right but I think like part of us growing and evolving into who we're supposed to be as humans takes kind of making waves. And lots of times that can be uncomfortable, but you learn a lot about yourself in the process. Um, yeah. Something I saw in your bio, it said, uh, be curious, not judgmental. And I love that. I love that idea of curiosity instead of, because I think sometimes if we don't understand things, we can come from it from a fearful angle. But if you have curiosity and you can kind of understand and relate, and that's, that's what I sense with what you're doing. Like it's, you're curious, you're sparking conversation, you're kind of treading into uncharted waters in a lot of ways with what you're talking about. And I would love to just dive in wherever you want to start, just pick a point, maybe like this profound where you really felt a shift within yourself to start being public about how you feel. 
Okay, well, let me kind of back up, just kind of give my story just a little bit. So yeah. I, I was a pastor. I um, That was kind of the narrative that was changes. I'm not a pastor anymore, right? So that's the big, <laughs> big idea. Um, but for me, it started, you know, I was raised in a fundamental or independent fundamental Baptist, very conservative family. Um, <clears throat> I went to the Christian college that my dad wanted me to go to, which was Bob Jones University, which is, if you haven't heard of it. It's <laughs> oh, a, I've heard of it. <laughs> It's a fundamentalist uh, institution, notorious for basically all the bad things that a fundamentalist institution are notorious for. Yeah. Um, and it was while I was there, I encountered a group of friends that were more mainstream evangelicals. And I was very attracted to the idea of being a Christian, but not being a fundamentalist, um, because it, it was a difficult, um, yeah, I couldn't really conceive uh, of myself as that. And so, um, as a result, I, I, it's interesting, you know, that the apple doesn't far, fall from the, far from the tree, right? So yeah. like my dad was a pastor and could that have had anything to do with the fact that I became a pastor? Yeah, probably so. <laughs> but I couldn't become the same kind of pastor as him. I couldn't be a fundamentalist pastor, but yeah. when I discovered this more mainstream, more gracious, you know, a pastor could have a beer, have tattoos, could wear skinny jeans or whatever, sort of evangelical. Converse. <laughs> Yeah, I felt like, oh, I could be me a little bit, but yeah. still the thing that would make my parents happy, would make my community happy. Um, and so I, I, I did that. I became a pastor. And it's interesting how um, I feel like that was like my first big shift was out of fundamentalism into more mainstream evangelicalism. And I think that my narrative would have continued to change and those shifts would have probably happened more rapidly had I not gotten a job as a pastor. Right. And discovered that... Um, having that position and leading an institution and being responsible for the doctrines of that institution made it challenging to, to change my mind yeah. on different things or evolve as a person. Um, I, I think of, you know, now not being a pastor anymore, I think a lot of times of big pastors, like, um, you know, who I think about a lot is uh, Andy Stanley. So he's a guy who leads a huge institution. I could tell just personality wise, he seems like the kind of guy who likes to push on boundaries and who likes to maybe think outside the box or would be maybe more progressive than yeah. he actually is because of the weight of the institution that's on his shoulders. Yeah, uh, absolutely. On a much smaller scale, uh, you know, not not, not a, a mega church by any means, but you know, a 200 person size congregation. Yeah. People their pastor to continue to believe the things that the pastor has believed absolutely and so I, I found that that did prevent me from changing my narrative for a great many years um and even when I would sense in my spirit um something that fell off you know I, I think many people of our generation just increasingly it's difficult it's increasingly difficult to believe that there's anything wrong with being gay like yeah it, We've met we've met enough people that are queer that we're like these these are good people. However, if we're in a an environment where that's you know that's what's expected, yeah. Um, then as I encountered that, even though it felt, there was like always a corner of my heart that never felt great about that, I knew that that was the belief that I had to double down on. I feel like too, it's like this idea of unconditional love, but it's not technically unconditional, like. We accept you, come as you are, but you can't really come as you are in some aspects because we're not going to accept you in your oh, full identity. Oh, yeah. We got, I mean, evangelicals um, have gotten really, really good at sounding super, super nice and nuancing their position as much as possible so that it doesn't sound horribly toxic. Because honestly, it's becoming such a, 
normal part of our lives to have, you know, gay friends and neighbors that to not accept them feels wrong. And right. so the evangelicals have had to really nuance their language. And, and here's to my shame, because I happen to be a bit of a, I don't know, I'm an explainer, I'm a teacher, I, I, I'm a wordsmith, whatever. I was like the guy on our pastoral team that was the best at navigating that conversation in terms of presenting our conservative viewpoint and trying to polish up that turd as much as possible to make it oh, sound palatable. Right. Um, That's such a hard position to be in. Well, at the time, I mean, for a while, when I, I was like, this is what, you know, I was indoctrinated to believe that's, you had to stand for that truth. And so right. it was like, and I was grasping for resources that could help me make sense of why I had to believe that. Right. Yeah. But that's the thing is because I was a pastor, because I had a salary employed by the church and not only that, but all these people in the community that I was, that were relying on me, but also I was, you know, they were my people. Right. Um, it was, it, when I would go to research that issue, it was very difficult to do it totally objectively. I would read resources like, for instance, probably my favorite book on the topic from a conservative viewpoint was Preston Sprinkle's People to be Loved. And so yeah. even in the title, you can hear, this is a conservative writing from the traditional position. He does not affirm gay relationships. The name of the book is, you know, it's not a it's not a mean name. It's People to be Loved, right? right. So the whole framing of the, of the thing. And so I was grasping onto resources that would help me try to make this sound loving. But ultimately, you know, if you're telling somebody they shouldn't exist and their relationship shouldn't exist. I know it, it's like it's such a I, I, I don't like to, what's the word I would best use to describe it. It just seems like a double standard in a lot of ways, too, because when I was in church, I, I noticed certain things being addressed, but not others like the whole like the modesty thing. Like they would focus on specific things that were like kind of fitting their narrative. But I felt like there were other issues that weren't addressed that I saw as a problem. Like one of the things I always saw was like, I went to a church where like, they were like, oh, you need to modestly dress. You have to do all of this. But like, they were stuffing their faces with cake and cookies and pie. And I'm like, that's gluttony. Like, that's a bad thing too, but we're not addressing that. There's no doubt about it that that particular issue gets a certain level of attention. Yep. <clears throat> to the point where if you could, and I knew this and this never had to be said, but I knew that I could change my mind on any number of issues and I would still be seen as a, a good Christian or, or somebody that could be reliable as a teacher, not a false teacher. Not They wouldn't relegate me to that level of sub-Christian like we do to the Episcopals amongst even right. those. But it, it's that particular, that's a watershed issue where if you change your mind on that, then all of a sudden, I mean, I had people immediately tell me, are you even a Christian anymore? Are, you know, And immediately even question that, which is so weird because how could anybody think that that particular issue is the center of the Christian faith or it all rides on that, right? It is It is weird, the obsession I see with that way of life. Like, I don't know why, like for me, it's like we approach it from how Jesus would have. Jesus loved everybody. Jesus was hanging out with everybody and just loving on them. And I feel like we pick and choose. We kind of like, I don't know. I just, I feel this overall sense, I love you, but you've got to do it this way. And for me, that's not how, that's not how I learned about Jesus. I mean, I saw him as this unconditional, loving, amazing human that was here, you know, and just spreading love. And so like, it never it started to like, that kind of happened to me too, like later. And I just, it just wasn't connecting anymore. It wasn't resonating with me because I wanted to just love people fully. And I felt like there were limitations on that. Absolutely. And I felt that it felt like, a, um, there was some cognitive dissonance for a while. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Like I was having to um, and even explain and unpack positions that I 
didn't feel great about. But again, there, there is this uh, thing that I accepted at the time, which was like, yeah, you know, God's truth, it's higher than our ways. Like, you know, we're, we're not the ones that make the rules, basically. God is. Yeah. Right? He's got reasons that are beyond our understanding and that sort of thing, right? Yeah. And, and also, um, yeah, so just back to the, what you were saying before about how that issue often gets a different level than other issues, just to, to kind of put a, a point on that, when I ultimately did go public with my change of mind about that, and I did a series of public uh, or reels on Instagram about why Christians should affirm same-sex relationships, and when I did that, my old church at that moment took down all of my uh, sermons, my eight and a half years of sermons from their website, even though... When I preached all of them, you know, I had the positions that the church had, but that really, that is seen as, oh, now you're, you've moved into a different category of Christian, basically, or basically, basically not a Christian. Yeah. How did you process that? Like, how, I mean, that obviously must've hurt yeah. to some degree, but like, I mean, how did, I mean, what was like the mental, like work through of that? I had been in the room when we made not those, not that decision, but like, I knew what those, the people that made that decision. I knew them personally. I know how they talk about things in their elder meetings. Yep. And I could visualize that when me coming up and them wrestling through what to do about Brian and, and what to do about that and, and coming to that decision. And I, I understood the mindset. I didn't take it personally because I know that there is within evangelicals, in order to make this work, there has to be a, they're controlling the narrative, right? Um, to, to kind of go to your to your title and th yeah. so it doesn't change right because it can change uh, so there's a there is damage control that kind of happens and really that's what that was it's like we we want to make sure that our people aren't listening to the wrong voices we you have to control what information is is coming to them because it could be confusing and so there is that need to control the narrative yeah um, that you know they're thinking of their institution and and the the people that you know, are there that they want to stay there and not leave and go to, you know, more progressive churches and that sort of thing. And um, yeah, I couldn't really fault them. I knew that that would probably happen, to be honest, yeah. as I, which is why, even though I changed my mind somewhat before that, it took me a while to get to the point where I wanted to talk about it publicly, because I knew that once I did, I just could, I knew that all these people would start talking about me, that there would be a whole thing. And it took me a while to get there. Yeah. What I did it was I had, I had to get to the place where the opinions of my gay friends mattered more to me than the opinions of, of the folks, you know, that I had previously been in, in church community with in, in the sense that I, I wanted to be known by them as somebody who stood up for them rather than as to be known by people that I wasn't really even doing life with anymore as somebody that still believed what they believed. Right. Uh, of that, you know? Yeah. I, I just want to commend you on your bravery because that is not an easy narrative to shift out of. And, you know, coming from church, even when I got divorced, like I always felt like, oh my gosh, like I had people that I'd gone to church with for years delete me off Facebook when they saw that I was divorced. And like, it's one of those things where whenever you make a big shift or a big change, it's going to make waves and it's going to affect you, but it takes bravery, which you've shown. I mean, I asked you earlier today, like if you could give me three like qualities to describe yourself, you know, and, and you said curious, accepting and open-minded, but I would add brave to that as well, because it takes a lot of bravery to speak your truth and to stand up for something. And it's not always easy, but I know that so much healing is coming from that. I mean, just the messages that you share, that you're getting, the DMs that you're getting from people that are like really resonating with what you're saying, because a lot of us have church trauma and especially the, the LGBT community. So for you to take the stand and to say these things, it's really, it's causing a lot of healing. I can sense it. It's, it's just, it's really amazing to see. 
that's been the really remarkable thing for me since, um, yeah, just the last few weeks is how many people have um, shared how, how healing was, even for someone who was a pastor, like it was helpful, like for someone to admit that they were wrong, even and that they changed their mind, like that even gives people hope, I think. Yeah. Um, and and so, yeah, that's been cool. On the other hand, I think, and I thank you for saying that. That's yeah. Like, I, I want to believe that about myself. <laughs> you will. <laughs> It took me way too long, you know, to, to, and, and like, I should have known sooner. And even, you know, for the most part, well, that's not true. My reels are filled with like really, really angry people that like want to send me to hell. But for the most part, well, like, they pray for you. <laughs> on the progressive side of things, they're like really encouraging. However, every now and then I actually just saw a comment like uh, 20 minutes ago where somebody was just like, whatever, dude, how did it take you so long to figure that out? It seems obvious, you know, which I totally understand that perspective. What you have to know is that when you're raised in a particular world and all of your relationships, your web of relationships are connected to continuing to believe a certain thing. Oh, yeah. It, it takes different people different amounts of time to to reconsider their narrative. I think like putting yourself in someone else's shoes too, and maybe just understanding like that's kind of what my whole podcast is about is like, let's get to a place of just understanding not everybody has had the same experience. You know, all of us are coming from different backgrounds, different walks of life, different faith, um, different beliefs. And that's that's like why I wanted to do this podcast, because I want to open up conversation without canceling people out just because we don't understand maybe or see things how they do. Like the curiosity portion, like I said earlier, being curious instead of just canceling things out because we don't necessarily agree with them. Like, let's have a conversation because we're not going to agree with 100 percent. I'm not going to agree with everything you say. You're not going to agree with everything that I say, but that's not what this is about. It's about conversation, connection, and vulnerability and authenticity, which I don't see that much. That's why when I saw your reel, I was really struck by it because I'm like, wow, this is a person really standing up for something that he feels very strongly about. I want to know more. And as I watched your content, I was really, because this is, this has been my heart. I mean, I consider myself an ally I have for a long time. And that was one of the reasons I had a hard time in church because I just felt like I could not love these people in the way that I wanted and I couldn't accept them because the faith that I was following didn't allow for that. So what you're doing is really great. And I'm, I'm curious, like, how long has it been since you, I think, I think you told me, but I can't remember, like, when was like, when did you end oh. being a pastor? Yeah. So basically, um, COVID was the pause that I needed to, I think, see things clearly. Yeah. Um, when Trump first uh, not even got elected, but when he first started rising to prominence was my first like gut check. I, yeah. I was, when I first felt like all of a sudden alienated from my my conservative my my evangelical community because I really thought and I was not a very political person before I'm much more politically involved and like knowledgeable now um it caused me to really have to like get my act together I just kind of assumed conservative politics um because that was the way that I was raised and I never really got very political and never really dug very deep yeah but you could tell that like the very conservative people were really crazy well you know the moderates like the Romneys the Rubio type of guys they seemed fine I guess Trump when he started to come to power or well, really started to rise in prominence I assumed that my Christian community would write this guy off as an absolute buffoon and as an evil person really which seemed yeah. very um and a few of them did but like a, a lot of people seemed very excited about the fact that he was becoming the front runner. Um, they didn't seem discouraged by that at all. And that, including my parents, which they were obviously, you know, they were not evangelicals or fundamentalists, but even that was, that was difficult for me and has caused a bit of a, like a rift in that relationship as well. Just my ability to respect them as people. I don't know, once you, if you fully endorse that guy, 
um, I, I just don't, I, your moral judgment just all of a sudden just doesn't carry a lot of weight for me, you know, yeah. ability to discern good from evil. I, I just don't really it, buy it. Things that's, I feel like it's always been a little divisive anyway, but I felt like that was kind of the start of the divisiveness, especially like, I think I share with you, like we had a chat earlier this week and I was just like, like Facebook got so toxic, like right. so bad. I mean, the threads that would come, if I just posted something, um, it was just like this fight would start and then people would be blocking me if I didn't agree exactly with what they were saying. And then that's, that's honestly too, like for me, like I just felt this huge political shift. Um, and I just felt like, wow, this is really messed up. Like this is fucked up and I don't want to be part of this anymore. And I, the people that I respected and loved were like, because I wasn't agreeing with what they were saying were writing me off. And I was like, what is going on? Is this like a parallel reality? I, like, I didn't, I couldn't resonate anymore. So it was kind of similar to what you went through. That's kind of, shifting so like so you that well, happens that and then... was the first I, I think it caused me to really think like wait a second if I, I just realized how wrong I mean I very rapidly like got knowledgeable and got political because yes. all of a sudden realized I needed to turn my brain on in this area right a huge blind spot and I just realized not just that Trump was bad I realized that really all of conservatism was very rotten and that I was told my whole life that not, you know, that Democrats were evil and that socialists were basically Satan, you know, <laughs> yeah. I actually started get, like reading more about political theory. I realized, oh, God damn it. I think I'm a socialist. Like, <laughs> yeah. And um, that was so that that happened. Like, yeah, I basically, you know, I, I swung from being a nominally politically, like barely politically involved to like, basically, I was like going for Bernie <laughs> and 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 um hundred <laughs> percent. And I just didn't understand all of a sudden I felt very alienated from a lot of my church community who, um, yeah, it just seemed like, again, there was like this big rift there. So I already, that, that was probably the first moment of separation. And it caused me to really think, what else are they really missing it on? Like yeah. if the evangelicals like so badly couldn't see clearly on, on, on the issue of Trump and really political involvement, are, are we wrong about maybe a lot of other things too? Were, were they coming from the angle too that God was going to change his heart? Uh, I don't think they cared. I don't that's what my I, friends were like. Nobody said that. They only said that as a argumentative, like a, as a technique to maybe like, oh, but you don't know, God might change his heart. Like they didn't, act, it would have, either way, it didn't matter. He could or he couldn't change his heart. It doesn't matter what his heart was. He, yeah. was. he was supporting their agendas, their political power, really. I think which a lot of it has to do with just, um, they didn't want the culture to change. And yeah. for him, it was make America great again. It was a call back. It was a dog whistle. Um, and, you know, you could say it was racialized in a lot of different ways. You know, the way he talked about Mexicans is keep it, you know, make America white again to be the same. Yeah, um, it, the whole thing to me was just very bizarre. And I I can really relate to what a lot of what you're saying. And I think, I think like the pandemic, I think the political stuff that was happening was kind of like, it was honestly shifting realities for a lot of us. I think a lot of us were kind of, like, like you said, I probably should have come to this realization sooner, but yeah. it happened when it was supposed to, you know? So my, my preaching did start to shift at that time. And I felt like, actually, I, I didn't feel like, oh, I need to get out of here. What I actually felt was like a sense of purpose about yep. it. It felt like, wow, like I'm seeing something that I didn't see before that these people need to hear. Right. And so I started to really weave more political themes into my preaching of accepting marginalized people of um yeah of like laying down privilege and power for the sake of others uh, about like not worrying about our own interests but the interests of others i mean these are biblical themes that yeah. um, 
it was not hard for me to really even talk about it because I, within conservative Christianity, there's like a big, um, there's a lot of negativity around people that are on welfare and stuff. Like I was raised with a lot of negative talk about that kind of thing. Oh, um, I was too. <laughs> a lot of that is just freaking racist, man. Yep. Um, well, I mean, what? how do they portray Jesus? This white, right. really attractive guy with long hair. Yeah. Like who knows what Jesus looked like? You know what I mean? But that's the, that's the, that's what's portrayed. And you have to think about that a little bit. (laughs) And so I, I began, I began to try to be more anti-racist in my preaching and talk more about things like that. However, that, that is, I mean, you could get away with that a little bit and I I would get pushed back. And I did, whenever I talked about race, I got some pushback, but you really couldn't say that much because that really is like very easy to defend, even from a conservative biblical viewpoint. But even then it was with with the idea of sexual minorities, I never felt like I could go there. And even intellectually, I, I was almost pulling back from studying it because it was like a fear of like, if I change my mind on that, then that changes everything, you know? Um, and so for some years I pushed on a lot of different issues, you know, regarding immigration and, and things like that, which kept me feeling a sense that I was doing something. I think I, I felt for a while, like if I left evangelicalism, I'd be quitting. I'd be leaving those people to just get worse and worse and worse. And then, but that was almost like too much of a hero mindset that I, it's not my that's job. Like, to- that's not like anybody's job. You know what I mean? Like you do your best, you do what you're called to do and like, <laughs> and also, let go, let God, me, right? It was keeping me from changing in ways that I needed to change yeah. because I was still tied to an institution that required me to only change so much. Um, How did you find those sermons to be received when you started to shift a little bit what you were preaching about? Yeah, I mean, some of them by the young younger people really loved them. I, yeah, the younger people in the congregation were really resonating with what I was saying, and the older people liked the fact that there were younger people there. Um, and because you know they we were still preaching the gospel, right? We were still right. talking about how Jesus died for our sins and needed a savior and all, all that stuff too. And so they were happy with that. They were they would I would often get some people saying things oh, you got a little too political and that sort of thing. Um, but I, so I, I could I could finesse it. I knew my boundaries. I knew how far I could push probably to get him to not leave or something like that. But ultimately, during COVID, we obviously paused meeting in person. And that was the first time that I wasn't going to church every Sunday, writing a sermon every week. You almost don't have time to change your mind. I, I'm just I'm just yeah preaching every single week and I'm just going and I'm holding the thing together. Right. Pause for COVID. It really I mean, a few things happened. One, I just was able to take a breath and like consider what I was doing and what I was a part of. But two, the evangelicals got crazier than ever that year. (laughs) Like it was very clear to me looking around who the bad actors were in our country, who the people were who were not loving their neighbors and who the people were who were loving their neighbors. And it was like, it's it's us, we're the bad guys. Like we're on the bad team. Yeah. And that was a hard pill to swallow. Yeah. Um. But yeah, so when we, 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 we did regather and my, my heart didn't really feel like it was in it. I, I had a hard time. And um, in October was when I put in my resignation of 2020. Um, okay. It took some time to get a replacement. I didn't want to, I, I mean, I, I was a part of that church for eight and a half years. I didn't want to leave like with a big, I didn't like say, yeah, you guys are fucking wrong. Fuck right. You, well, no, that's not, that's not found a replacement anyway. yeah. that they need that they wanted a replacement to believe 
And, you know, I kind of just left in a very gracious way. So that was, that's why it was so surprising when about a year later, when I started talking more publicly about some of these things, some people were surprised because I had been quiet and I, I kind of just went away pretty quietly. Yeah. Uh, but in the meantime, like as I left, I, all of a sudden, I mean, as soon as I wasn't a pastor anymore, it's very interesting how the, the weight of the expectations that were on my shoulders to look and act and be a certain way, um, really freed me up to and also the material concerns like I, I think about this a lot how many pastors they just are not financially able to change their minds they, they don't they can't afford to even think about it well like so, a lot of like I mean with my ex-husband like his youth pastor was in a parsonage that was connected to the church like their housing and everything was tied up to the church and and more than even the finances their, their whole community all the friends yeah. and all the ex- like, and, and your sense of self, your sense of like, what makes me important as a person, people look to me with, for these answers and I have these answers. And so when you go to give them the answers, you're going to give them the ones that, you know, you know, you're supposed to give them that according to the church's statement of faith and that sort of thing. Right. And so I think a lot of people, they wouldn't even read the kinds of things that would challenge them or upset right. that comfortable way of thinking, you know? Yeah. So as soon as I stepped away, I kind of realized, oh yeah, I think. I mean, I very quickly was like, yeah, I, I do want to affirm gay people. And I have for a while. I just wasn't really letting myself be honest about that, you know? Yeah. Um, and so, but but even then it was like a wrestle with what going public about it would cause. Would, I just didn't, I didn't want that to be my whole thing. Like immediately quit and start talking about, like, I was happy to just chill and just keep being myself and learning new rhythms and that sort of thing. But at some point there was like an angst that grew in my spirit to, to be public and maybe it's just yeah. me that needed to preach again or something like I, that but I think like anybody that's called to be a preacher already has like this feeling of wanting to help lead people and kind of guide in a way and and I can see that in your videos like you have state you have a presence you know you have an energy that carries and that's going to be used to help I mean this is exciting to to see what's going on with you I mean just like God I think it's like been like four or five days your followers have exploded online you know but you're reaching so many people and it's important because this work is important and but you have you already have the gifting in place to be able to talk and to share yourself and be well spoken like those are giftings that you have and now you're doing something so unique with it and that must be pretty exciting like do you have plans like or like do you have an idea of what you want this to turn into you just riding it out seeing what's going to happen no, in fact, I had said for a long time I didn't want my account to become like a deconstruction account because I, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I, I was like, I'm not a pastor. I'm not a spiritual leader and I'm not trying to be one and I don't want people to look to me as that. And I've been very honest about the fact that I'm at a very confused place in my own yeah. faith. I, I've been, that was one of the first reels that blew up was me saying, there's like, I don't know if I'm always feeling like a Christian. And people were very confused about that. Like you can't, I, you're in or you're out, you're hot or you're cold. That like, Was that the one that was reshared by that, that youth pastor guy? Yeah, yeah, and I was reading the comments or that he was just like, we need to be praying for him. And I'm like, oh, I just don't like looking at, like, I remember thinking that way too years ago. And now I just like, I'm like, oh my gosh, everyone's on their own journey. Like, let's not be so judgmental. Like he did, yeah. he dissected everything you said and like broke it down. That, that reel, I was not trying to reach some mass audience with that. When I, when I made that reel, I had like 1000 followers. Yeah. And I was really just talking to the people that kind of knew me generally, because a lot of people that have known me have wondered like, where are you at now? And the kind of the short answer is, I don't always know. 
Um, yeah. Sometimes I'm just, I look at Christianity and I'm just like, this is so unappealing. I, I enjoy Jesus. I think there's some good stuff there. I'll keep reading it. I'll keep like living it. Um, but I, I, I just don't actually want to be a Christian. Sometimes I feel that other times I do still see truth and beauty in it. And I don't feel the need to, one thing I don't miss about being a pastor, and this is a great thing that I've been able to step away from is you're supposed to know all the answers and people yeah. come you with a theological question and you give them the right answer. Um, and I don't have the right answers. I can tell you what the evangelical right answers were supposed to be, but right. I don't I can really put my endorsement on most of those things anymore. Well, so none I'm of us, none of us have the answers. I think when we, I think sometimes that when we're fearful, we have to live in absolutes. And that's kind of what I see in the church. Like I have to know when I die, I'm going to heaven. I have to know all of these things. But the fact of the matter is it takes faith to believe in something we can't see. Yeah. And no one has all the answers. God yeah, does. Right. You know, I believe in a higher consciousness, but I don't. In that real, like, I think that struck me as well, like as something important is, is hell. I do talk about hell a lot because I think that's like the trump card that that evangelicals use to. It's so you actually, you need, if there's a hell, you actually do need certainty. Because <laughs> if that's what we're looking at, like if, oh, oh, burn forever and ever. Yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm going to be 100% then. Like, because if the stakes are really that high, it requires a level of certainty that's actually not human. No. That, we're not wired to think that way. That's an impossible weight to bear. I mean, I'm sure you're familiar with Bill Johnson at Bethel. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So when I started, that was kind of my like moment, like, um, He's when he was Bethel really teaches like heaven on earth, experiencing heaven on earth. And that was so appealing to me because I was like, why do we spend our entire life waiting for eternity? Like you're missing out on the magic of the moment. And so that message was really profound for me because I'm like, I want to feel that. I want to have heaven on earth. Like I want to feel that peace. Right. Because I'm told, no, you just get through. And then at the end, you you have an eternity of bliss in heaven. Like, why can't we have that now? And that was what really drew me in because it was always such a focus on hell, hell, hell. Mm -hmm. But there was never this like aspect of like bliss or in the present moment. So that was something that really his, that's why Bethel really kind of started to shift my narrative, so to speak. I mean, they, they blew up too. They're huge. And I think there was something of that too. Like, because I think a lot of Christians had been so used to a pie in the sky sort of view of, of heaven, but to actually think, no, we, we need something now. For me though, one of the problems there is that with Bethel, again, it's all spiritualized. And so most of those people would be politically conservative. They're not actually working for universal healthcare for a, a living wage. Those are the kinds of things, if we're talking about what does it look like to build heaven on earth? Well, how about like the kinds of tangible material realities? You know, they're just getting spiritual experiences in a room. And so right. that's one thing that I'm struggling with with Christianity is I, I, if there is a Christianity for me, it has to be very rooted in actively seeking the good for the people that need it most, for the marginalized right. That I, And so to me, the fact that Christians aren't on the front lines for, of climate change. Right. They're not the ones in the streets saying everybody in this country should fucking have health care. That's what the Christians should be doing. And yeah. That, it's like, I don't know. I don't, they're I don't just know. getting caught up on things that really aren't relevant or no, they're not. You it's like the, in a room. You yeah. get in a room and you feel close to this people because we all believe the same thing. And that's great. I'm glad that you had that moment. But if it doesn't lead you going into the streets, fighting for the people that you don't know and that are different from you, yep. then it doesn't really matter to me. And so when I look around and I do see secular people having better ethics and values when it comes to the actual, like real things of life, yeah. that, that can be frustrating for me. That doesn't make me say, well, then I'm not a Christian necessarily. Um, it does make me not necessarily want to be associated with 
certainly evangelical Christians. Yeah. Now, that being said, I mean, the, the progressive church that, I, that I'm part of, they're very, very active um, socially in a lot of really amazing causes. And so are a lot of other churches. And right. so I finish that. Um, and yeah, I, I forget what, what we're exactly talking about, but the idea of like, oh, oh, <laughs> what's next? So I was saying I didn't want to be a deconstruction like guru because I, I'm nervous of elevating anything about me to any kind of guru level. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know where it's going to end. I don't know whether I'm going to, yeah, like, I don't have a destination in mind. I'm just literally, I'm kind of narrating where I'm at right now on the journey. That yeah. I'm I still go to church many Sundays, but some Sundays, if I don't want to go, I don't go. And I, that's fine. I'm not a member currently of the church. I, um, I like it because it has good vibes. And I know some cool people that are, but actually the people ask me how I found the church. My gay buddy invited me to this church and I was See? like, he likes it. I, I, let me check it out. And it's great. And, um, you know, I'm going to join a kickball uh, league. It's a gay kickball league. And most Love of the church are, or, or, or on my team will be from that church. And it's like a bunch of queer people from the church on a kickball. So that's fantastic. And, and community. And so like, I get a lot of people are like, you know, come back to Jesus. I literally am in Christian community. You know, um, if Jesus wants me, he knows where I'm at. <laughs> I'm I You're doing just fine. <laughs> Hey, um, I hate to to start wrapping, but I guess start wrapping things up. Sure. Um, but I want to like end it really quickly, not quickly, quickly, but I want to like ask you a couple questions before we end today. Um, so you're talking about like the future. Like I, I see like, I honestly just see like this just becoming something really cool for you. Like I just see that. Like I think this is going to be like, I think your attitude about it's great because you don't have like one specific, like you said, you want to be a deconstruction page, but Maybe that's what God wants or, you know, the universe wants, you know what I mean? So being open a little bit because yeah. the number of the, the level of feedback that I've gotten has made me want to talk more about something that seems to be striking a nerve. And so that is motivating for me. It's like yeah. I have thoughts, I'll share them for sure. Um, so yeah, we'll see. What's your favorite quote? Okay. So I, I, I mean, so on my, you mentioned it already, but I, I didn't get to talk about it. So I'll just talk about it briefly. So I put that on my page, be curious, not judgmental. That's um very corny that I heard it on the Ted Lasso show. <laughs> I like but it. It's Walt Whit Whitman said it originally. I was, when I was watching Ted Lasso, it was really just shortly after I had quit. And I was in a place where I was like really thinking about what do I stand for? What are my values? And when, when Ted said that in, in the, the episode, I like froze and I, I like had to, um, I went back and I, I rewatched that scene several times. I ended up getting, I have a tattoo on my belly, actually be curious, not judgmental. That phrase, um, not because it's from that show or anything, that show is fine. It's, it's all right. Uh, but the idea of because for so long it was black and white and it was, this is what's right, this is what's wrong and you judge what's wrong. I was gonna say that um, I think even progressive people need to hear this sometimes like, for, for example, you know, on that comment where the person was like, yeah, it's great that you believe this, but you know, what, you, I can't believe you're just coming to this knowledge now. Well, when you know somebody's story, when you know what they've walked through, when you know the perspective that they've had, and I think that progressives can have this even when it comes to conservatives and evangelicals or whoever you're talking. When I talk to my yep. parents, ask questions, even though, I just want to fight with them, but actually like nobody has ever changed their mind from like just brute force trying to argue them into a new position. Nope. Ultimately, you want to feel understood, you know? Um, and so I, I try to ask questions instead of cast judgment on anybody, even if I deeply disagree with them. I mean, I'm not going to, I'm not going to judge people. That's just not the way. And so that is like a principle that I've really tried to embody over the last couple of years. And I feel like I'm doing it. I don't know. It, you it's are. Really 
um, something that I'm trying to make my whole personality. <laughs> I feel like yeah. there's what I could be. Well, I mean, if we think about social media too, like the bigger you become, the more it's going to become involved. Because even as I've started this podcast, there's like a lot of moving parts. So it's like finding that balance too, because you're going to have people reaching out all the time that want to talk to you. You're going to have to find balance with that because there's so much, to, there's so much involved in what you're doing and saying, and that's going to resonate with a lot of people. So it's like, like you said, you don't want to become your entire personality, but it will become a part of what you're doing because it's going to impact a lot of people and they're going to want to talk to you. Not being judgmental is like really important to me though. One thing that several people, one of the biggest compliments I've gotten like over the past few weeks is just that like people have said, wow, I really appreciate how kind you are to the people that disagree with you. And that's like something I'm really trying. And I have slipped a couple of times and said a few snarky things because okay. real jackasses on there. Oh but my goodness. I'm trying to just be really kind. And I, I want to say too, that like the, my, my church family that I, you know, I, I stepped away from, I have nothing but love in my heart for all those people. Yeah. And I respect a lot of what they're doing. They do a lot of good things in the community that I can still affirm while I, you know, deeply disagree about a few stances. I don't want to stand over here and cast stones. Like I've got it all figured out, you know? And yeah. so I don't become that person that think that is just superior on the other end of things. You know, I, I walked in that road of thinking that, you know, my group had it all right. And I'm the superior one for too long. I don't want to leave that one anymore. Yeah, it's not a it's not a way to be for sure. And that's why I, I appreciate you coming and talking and sharing your story, because this is the kind of stuff that's going to help shift people's perspective, because we always want to be curious, like you said, but we always want to be open to conversation with maybe someone that doesn't see things exactly as we do, because we're not going to learn anything if we're all just like in echo chambers, just hearing the same thing over and over again. I'm big. I love I even though like my my upbringing was unique, I'm thankful for it because it's allowed me to have so many different perspectives on things and hear so many different sides of things. And especially with my parents, like they're very conservative, very political. We are not on the same page at all, but I have grace for them because I understand like that's how they feel. So I'm always just like, hey, like maybe think about it this way, or I love you. I love that you feel that way, but like, that's maybe not my perspective. Like, I think like you, your approach is perfect because you're approaching it from a place of like understanding and relating and it's not a place of like judgment. You know what I mean? Like you're not like, well, I'm out of the church now and I don't want anything. You know what I mean? You're 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 doing it in love. Still have and friends that are evangelical and you know, we don't hang out as much as we used to, but uh, for me the hand is extended to yeah. spend time with those guys. So Yeah. All right. My other question is, if you could go back in time and change one thing, would you? And what would that one thing be? <laughs> like anywhere? You could, it can be for humanity, mankind, for yourself personally. For myself, you didn't, you didn't prep me with this one. Okay. I see. That's what I do. I like to put people, I do the quote one, but I always like to surprise people with this one. Cause a lot of everybody's answer is different. Something brilliant about, you know, um, my God, there's been so much fucked up shit that's happened. How are you supposed to choose? You know, you gotta everybody's go different. No, I mean, um, I um I, I I wouldn't know. I I don't think I would change anything. I think yeah. history is going to be fucked up. You can't change one thing. It's all there's so much fucked up shit. I don't know. I'm just trying. One uh, of my I, favorite guests said she'd go back and behead Columbus. <laughs> I was like, whoa. <laughs> it's not bad. Yeah, I yeah. mean, baby Hitler is always a good choice, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, I, even then it's like somebody else would have probably done the Holocaust, you know, there's a lot yeah. of evil. I, um, I'm, I'm a firm believer in things play out exactly as they should. And you couldn't really go back and change things because it would change the course of everything. And this life is meant, I think this life is beautiful. I think 
it can be painful, but it can be beautiful at the same time. So I'm of that mindset too. In my personal history, I, I wish I didn't become a pastor so young, you know, yeah. I, I would have maybe cautioned 25 year old Brian to <laughs> hold off and yeah. keep studying you know, um, slow down, not a rush, you know, maybe ministries down the road. I locked myself in to like, I picked my team a little early and I don't think I was done growing and evolving yet. You know, I was, yeah. so I think that maybe that's what I would change in my own personal history. But even then that's part of my story. And, um, I don't know that I would change it necessarily, although yeah. I was, I was a bad decision in retrospect. Yeah. You know, Brian, this has been so fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Um, it really, it's been, I, I know that I found you real because I was supposed to. I felt like, like this, I want this person. I didn't know if you'd want to come on. I wasn't sure if you were doing podcasts. So I like shot my shot. I was like, hour? Sure. Huh? Yeah, <laughs> like, let's just have a conversation. That's all this is. And it's just, it's, I'm having people reach out and say, this is helping me heal. This is helping me. Because I try to have so many different perspectives on because it's so important for us to be open, be curious to learning a different side of things. And I think your story is really, really powerful and it's impacting a lot of people. It's helping a lot of people. So keep doing what you're doing. Keep vibing, keep being a cool dad. I know you're, a, I, from what I see, you're an amazing dad. You adopted a, a daughter, like everything, like it's just everything I've seen. It's like, you, you've got such a good heart. You're like, you're out there helping people. And I really appreciate seeing it. Thanks for reaching out. Thanks for the conversation. Yeah. All right, Brian, take care. Thanks for being on the podcast. Thanks, Sophie. Take care. Yeah. Thank you so much for tuning in for another episode of the Change in the Narrative podcast. I hope that the conversation impacted you as much as it did me. I love that idea of coming at something or something that we don't understand if we come from a perspective of curiosity, not judgment. We really can set ourselves up to grow immensely as humans, and that's what we're all here for, right? That's what we're here for, to grow and expand and to open our minds to a new way of thinking. I want to give Brian's Instagram a shout out. You can find him at brecker. That's B-E-R-E-C-K-E-R on Instagram. If you want to go out, check on his reels and content. I know you'll find it just as interesting as I did. As always, folks, it really does help if you give me a five-star rating and review on whatever app you listen to. And if you wouldn't mind going ahead and hitting that follow or subscribe button, you'll get updates as to when I release new episodes of the podcast. If you'd like to reach out to me, I'd love to hear from you. You can find me on Instagram at changingthenarrative underscore podcast. I'm also on TikTok at changingthenarrative underscore one, one, one. Thanks again for tuning in. Go out and have a great weekend and I'll meet you right back here next week for a new episode.